Radio Mano Papachango. This is Dr. Christopher Ryan reporting from Gran Canaria. I come to you from a house in the middle of fucking nowhere. I mean, this house is at the end of two dirt roads after you pull off a tiny little road, like the kind of road where if a car's coming the other direction, the two you have to somehow figure out how you're going to get past each other because there's only room for one car in that road that's the paved road you drive that road i don't know how many how many kilometers and then you pull off that and you start going down dirt roads and then one dirt road leads to another dirt road and don't tell the people it hurts but holy shit i mean i don't know i'm uh I haven't scraped up the car too bad yet, but you can feel like when you're going down, all the weeds are, are dragging along the doors. It's kind of like a car wash, you know, where you get those brushes running up against the side of the car. It's that kind of feeling, except they're scratchy thorn bushes and stuff. And, and you're bouncing over rocks that you're hoping aren't going to gash out the muffler or, or punch a hole in the gas tank under the car. And I don't have the insurance on the car. I never get the insurance on the fucking rental car. I never have. It's just the way I roll. I'm not giving advice. Don't don't follow my advice. I'm just telling you. Uh, I also don't buy the six-month or the one-year guaranteed uh, extension on the fucking washing machine or any of that stuff. When you add it all up, even if you know you lose one out of 20... You're, it's cheaper to pay it, you know, just pay it. Don't get the insurance, I say, for myself. Although, now I have to be honest, I, I use a credit card, the uh, Chase Sapphire, which is highly recommended to anyone who's looking to go on the road. It's sort of a credit card that's made for travelers. I don't think they're thinking dirtbag travelers like you and me. I think uh, it's designed for the international business traveler. Um, but... It works well for the dirtbag traveler um, because you get the best exchange rate available. They guarantee that they'll give you the best exchange rate. So it's sort of they and they expect you to be traveling internationally and you get all these points, uh, which you can apply to any frequent flyer program. You can buy shit in the Apple store. You can apply them to your Amazon account. So they're very usable points. Um and I think you get like one point for every $10 or something. And then you get double points if you use it in a restaurant or gas stations or some shit like that. I don't know. This is not an ad for Chase, by the way. Fuck Chase. It's another big bank that's ruining the world. But they do have this cool credit card. Anyway, the credit card, uh, they say that they give you total insurance when you rent a car using the credit card. And also when you buy shit, like if you buy a computer and even if it gets stolen or something, they'll apparently replace it within six months or something. So I use the credit card for everything. And um, 
I've never, I've never had to uh, call on them for the insurance. If I ever do, I'll report back to you and tell you whether it's all a bunch of bullshit or not. But in the meantime, it allows me to decline the coverage on rental cars with something of, um, you know, not feeling the impending doom of, of credit card uh, rental, car rental disaster. And uh, where the fuck am I talking about that? I don't know. I don't know how I got off on that. But in any case, uh, it did. It makes me think about things. One of the things I like about traveling is that it reminds you how often things don't go wrong. Uh, and rental cars, I think because I'm in this weird, tenuous thing with the insurance, um, rental cars are one of those things where every time I rent a car, I, I sort of imagine all the things that can go wrong and what a giant hassle it's going to be you know, when I return the car and it's all busted up or this paint scratched or whatever. And, uh, and it, 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 I don't think it's ever happened. I don't think I've ever had a, a car rental situation, but for some reason, like the whole time I'm driving around in a rental car, I'm sort of, you know, it's in the back of my mind. And, um, so it's a nice thing about travel that it reminds you that things generally don't go wrong. Things go wrong far less than we expect them to. And that's because we live in a world, a society, an artificial world that exacerbates our sense of danger in order to sell us unnecessary protection from that danger. And that brings us to this week's episode, which is with uh, a lovely woman named Pri who wrote to me from the Appalachian Trail, where she had been hiking for probably about five months at that point, um, is one of those emails that I just love to get from somebody, a young person out in the world doing cool shit, and she listens to the podcast, and she was listening to it along the trail. And one night she had coverage on her phone, and she decided to look up my webpage and send me a little note from the the trail and uh and yeah it was great and and i uh followed her on on um, instagram and uh she takes beautiful photographs lovely photographs so i was really digging that and and of course and then you know some of the photographs are selfies and it turns out she's gorgeous as well so you've got this beautiful woman in beautiful landscapes with a great photographic eye and um in her email, she said she was going to be coming to Portland when she finished the trail. And I said, well, if I'm still around, look me up, drop me a line, and uh, I'd love to have you on the podcast, you know, because I love sort of closing the loop. You know, someone listens to the podcast, goes out and does a interesting adventure and then comes on the podcast to talk about the adventure. That that just feels really cool. Um, and uh, so we did. So I recorded this just before I left Portland. Uh, you'll hear me, you know, talking about how we're going to be going to Thailand while we've been there and back. Um, we have some, it's a really nice conversation. I just sat here and listened to pretty much all of it. Um, and, uh, she was six months on the Appalachian Trail, started in Georgia, ended in Maine, and she had just been back in Portland for 20 days when we recorded this. So she was fresh from the trail. And uh, we cover all sorts of stuff, uh, you know, bear lore, how to uh, deal with uh, black bears. And, of course, the perennial issues of death and shitting in the woods, you know, two of my favorites. Um, 
travel community, how to be cool at 40, and the uh, and how grief and praise may actually um, come from the same the same part of the psyche. Those are just a few of the things we cover. We had a really nice conversation uh, sitting up in her little college dorm room kind of looking thing. If you want to follow her or just look her up quickly, um, she's Preconceptions on Instagram, P-R-E-E, Conceptions. Uh, we talk about it at the end of the podcast as well. So if you're not near a pen, you can get that at the end of the podcast. Uh, I really um, enjoyed this conversation, as you'll hear. It was just relaxing and fun and just, you know, first time I met her, but we had a, a really nice connection. And uh, we're still still in touch. And uh, I'm happy that we are. She's a special person. So that's it. I, uh, I've been out here for about four days, five days. Those of you who listen to the podcast regularly know that I'm uh, I rented this house out here in the middle of nowhere to sort of uh, give myself the space and time to finish Civilized to Death. And today I finished reading through the whole manuscript. I sort of went through um, looking for um, what from this manuscript is applicable to this book and what's going into the next book. As As I mentioned an episode or two back, I... Just sort of, um, you know, splooged 130,000 words, and it turns out I've got sort of the first half of two books. So today I finished going through and figuring out which is which book. So that's a landmark accomplishment. I think of some sort. Um, so I'm starting to starting to see some sort of structure coming out of this. I, I, it's like Rodin said, you know, he just takes a piece of marble and finds the shape that was already inside there. And uh, so I think that's kind of like what I'm doing, except it's rubble instead of a block of marble. It was auspicious, though. The day I came here through no planning of my own is just because of the way various things came together. I um, booked the flight on the 20th and rented the house as of the 20th of June. And uh, then I got out here and I saw that it's a full moon and I remembered that it's it was the solstice, summer solstice. So my first night out here working on this project was both the summer solstice and a full moon, which I guess hasn't happened in 70 years or something. So for those of you who believe in such things, who knows, maybe I'll get some some good luck from that. I'm going to play some uh, music that uh, Pre listened to on the on the road, on the trail. Um, the first song that I'll play you out with is a song called Sailor Song. It's by the Blind Owl Band, which I guess she's friends with someone in the band or some of the, all of them. I don't know. The record's called the, This Train We Ride is Made of Wood and Steel. That's the name of the CD. The song is called Sailor Song. Uh, and then uh, later on, you'll hear a tune called Guaranteed, which is by um, sung by Eddie Vedder. It's from the soundtrack of Into the Wild, which is another song that uh, Pre listened to on the trail and has some special meaning for her. And then I'll throw in a little something that you'll recognize because we're talking about it in the conversation. And that's it. Thank you to all of you who support the podcast in various ways, whether it be through your Amazon.com purchases 
or through Patreon or through Fund What You Love or through sending me a PayPal tip or whatever you do, buying t-shirts, turning your friends onto the podcast, whatever it may be, it's much appreciated. And uh, that's it. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in about a week. Hasta la vista, baby.
Beside her mind to put hands for all the boys that gave a tower Golly fumes, but I think they got a little more space left in heaven's room I think they got a little more space left in heaven's room Left in heaven's room. I think they got a little more space left in heaven's room. Oh, left in heaven's room. Oh, left in heaven's room. <laughs> All right, I am sitting in in an attic space with uh, preconceived notions here. Pre, say say your last name again. It's Castellic. Castellic. And, um, yeah, this is great. I feel like I'm in college again. <laughs> I really do. This is so nice. You got the, we talked about the hallucinogenic mushroom uh, print over the bed. That's, yeah, yeah. That's great. You got, I took that. You got your MacBook. It's, it's wonderful. It's very comfortable. You've got your yoga posture. You can sit <laughs> on the floor comfortably. Yeah. That's well, great. I mean, after being in the woods for six months, you get really used to sitting on the ground. Yeah. Six months. Yeah. Wow. Okay, let's talk about that. So, so how did we? You've been listening to the podcast, and you sent me an email. What two, three months ago? Yeah, I was in New Hampshire, and you were nearing the end of your time walking the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. Six months in the woods. That's amazing. Yeah, it was. So, where did you start? Where uh, Georgia. In Georgia. So yeah. you did the whole trail. You started at the bottom. I mean. Not technically. I missed two sections. I had someone in my family pass away, and then I had an injury when I was going through the whites. So I have two small sections to fit to finish next year. Oh, really? Yeah. If, as long as you get it in under the year mark, you can still call yourself a through hiker. So that's my goal. But I just have those places. How long is a section? It, however long you want it to be. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So it's not, you're just saying sections. It's not like there are 712 exactly. sections. Uh, exactly. Okay. Exactly. I gotcha. And what was your injury? Did you hurt your foot? Uh, tailbone. 
Yeah. Oh, you fell and yeah, oh, that's was, so painful. I was going down to collect some water and like I actually it was funny. I was wearing a beanie and I slipped and fell and then my beanie fell exactly where I'd been standing before. I literally <laughs> fell out of my hat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Wow. Yeah. The coccyx. That's, mm. And there's nothing you can do except suffer. No. Suffer. Yeah. yeah. I did a lot of that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you suffered with your fixing your coccyx. And then you, uh, and then you set off on the trail. Was this the first time you've done a long hike like this? Yeah, yeah. My longest hike before I did anything like this was four days long. So, wow. And I had never camped alone. I'd never. Really. Yeah. So it was a lot of so many new things. And you, do you mind me saying how old you are? No, no. no. So you just said you're 25. So, you know, you're young. You're on your own out on the trail. You're beautiful. You're oh, like. I mean, I'd be scared if I were your parent. <laughs> she was. <laughs> was yeah, she? she totally was, yeah. Yeah. Um, she was trying to convince me to bring a gun. And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to carry a gun. <laughs> I don't think that would help. No. <laughs> yeah, was she worried about bears? Um, n I mean, yeah, a lot of people were worried about bears. Yeah. And honestly, that's like probably one of the things you should be least worried about. Mm. All things considered. I mean, there are plenty of black bears along that. Yeah, area. yeah, but yeah. you only really need to worry in like New Jersey and New York, where they're very adapted to people. Oh, right. And I only saw two the whole trail, so. Mm. So it's there. It's not like they're raging into your camp at night because they smell yeah. your beef jerky or something. Well, it has happened, but mm. no, not generally. Um, I did have one friend on the trail named Scribbles who was followed by a bear. Um, she thinks it was because she was wearing incense on the back of her pack that was strawberry scented. Wow, yeah. yeah, that's the kind of thing you would never think about. Mm -mm. I mean, I'm such an idiot. I, I don't know if you've heard me tell this story. When I was in Alaska and worked in the salmon cannery, and then um, my friends and I decided we'd made enough money, and we decided before we left Alaska we were going to go camping in Denali National Park. Oh, nice. Yeah, and we went up, we hitchhiked up there, and we walked back this sort of logging road, you know, to get back into the, like, the back end of the park, and this um, uh, ranger drove up and saw us, and he stopped, and we're chatting for a while and you know so where are you guys coming from and what are you doing and he, it wasn't it wasn't like a cop interview he was just yeah. a friendly guy you know but um so we told him we'd been working in the cannery and and he was like listen guys um you know i'm sure you don't realize this but you smell like salmon <laughs> you know, you've been and it's true and as soon as he said it it's like shit he's right I've been like up to my neck in salmon all summer, right? Go home to my tent, sleep in my tent. My sleeping bag smells like salmon. Everything oh around me smells like, I mean, a grizzly bear must smell me from 40 miles oh, away. Oh, totally you know? can. And, <laughs> and he's just like, fellas, you might want to reconsider. I'll give you a ride back out if you want. We're like, shit, yeah. So I never did camp out in Denali. Yeah. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh. No, everything I owned smelled like salmon. Right, totally. And grizzlies are a totally different ballgame than yeah. black bears. I yeah. mean, their eyes are, like, so black, you know? Like, they don't look like they can be reasoned with. Maybe grizzlies? That's just, yeah, that's uh, just my perception, maybe. Yeah, although you can, you can play dead with grizzlies, but not with black bears. Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's one thing I learned. That grizzlies are like the French. They like their food partially rotten. <laughs> so with a grizzly, you can play dead, and if you're lucky, he'll just, like, 
kick some dirt over you and leave planning to come back in a couple of weeks. After you fermented it. Right. Whereas black bears just eat you right away. So there's no playing dead with black bears. Yeah, but they're so small. Like, at least the ones that I saw. Yeah. Yeah, you're supposed to, like, just make yourself big and... Yeah, you could probably intimidate a black bear. Yeah. Not a grizzly. I I heard a really interesting story about a woman in New Jersey that came um, back into the backyard and there were some black bears that were going through the garbage can. And her kids were playing in the yard. And um, at some point, the bear got a hold of her skull and was dragging her toward the forest. And she said that she flashed in her mind the thought of her children. And at that precise moment, the bear let go. And now she has these scars from where the bear had been. Like, wow. Yeah, totally. That's intense. I was just reading um, a passage from, uh, what was his name? The, the Livingston, the explorer of Africa, you know, when they say, Dr. Livingston, I presume, he, <laughs> he discovered the source of the Nile in the 1800s. Anyway, there's, from one of his journals, he talks about being attacked by a lion. And, like, this lion jumped off a rock and grabbed him by the head and was shaking him like a terrier shakes a rabbit, you know. Mm-hmm. And he describes the feeling, and... Um, Apparently, he had a massive endorphin release, hmm. and he just felt completely at peace and relaxed and no fear and like, okay, this is it. So this is how I'll die. This lion's going to kill me. There cool. are worse ways to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was using it as, in a, you know, I'm arguing against this idea that nature is bloody in tooth and claw and, you know, the whole Hobbesian vision of the natural world as being an enemy. Right. Uh, you know, which is in, sort of intrinsic in this civilizational approach to life. And so I use that as an example, saying, like, okay, even, yeah, things die, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, we animals eat other animals. That is that is part of the picture. But that doesn't mean that there's a lot of suffering necessarily happening because mm-hmm. there are actually these built-in mechanisms mm-hmm. that are really compassionate, you know. Right. And the way we die is... The opposite. We die in much more pain, lingering and, you know, with all this technology and and in America and, and also some other countries, it's very difficult to give even dying patients enough pain medication yeah. because the laws say, oh, they could get addicted. Are you fucking kidding me? Addicted? <laughs> Give me a break. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I don't want to rant. Oh, no. I mean, totally <laughs> preaching to the choir. I try and remind myself as often as possible yeah. that, that that's going to be the end of me someday. Well, you must think a lot when you're six months alone. Most of the time you're alone and you're not distracted by television and phone calls and all that kind of time. stuff. Time. Time is um, purely determined by the position of the sun in the sky, and it doesn't right. matter. It doesn't matter what time it is. Right. And if you don't feel like getting up, you just stay in your tent all day, and you'll go the next day. Yeah, I did a little bit too much of that, <laughs> but totally. I like doing that. Yeah. I did a lot of that when I was living in tents. I lived in a tent for a couple of years, and uh, one of my favorite things to do was lie in there, warm in my sleeping bag, and listen to the rain. Mm, I love that so much. Man, there's nothing better than that. Thunderstorm. (sighs) Feeling, there's that feeling of like, like at arm's length, it's cold and wet. And sticky. And here, 
it's warm and I'm comfortable and it's all stuff I carry on my back. Mm -hmm. There's something so deeply satisfying about that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I miss that. Sometimes I think if I were single, I'd be, uh, I'd be looking into living in a van, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think it's this, it's sort of like the same kind of independence and, you know, sleeping in a van when it's raining is really nice, too, because yeah, totally. you're close to it. Yeah, working on my down payment for the, that exact situation. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, that's... I think it, with a couple, it's a different kind of thing. It's not as easy for two people to live in a van. I mean, it's not no. impossible, but in the long term, it's just not quite enough space. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Cassie, my wife, is totally down with whatever she's she's one of the reasons we're together is like she's just up for any adventure and you know awesome. doesn't give a shit like she loves shitting in the woods that's for me that's like a priority with with a woman like a woman who's like oh no like well okay this isn't gonna work out exactly if you I can't mean, shit in the yard baby you're not for me yeah i feel you <laughs> i feel you completely it's the same idea with death you know like if yeah. you if you're the type of person that that tries to hide from death i mean shitting is just basically like the little death it's like it's like so <laughs> <laughs> what the french mean uh, i don't know if that's what they mean that's funny um you know because you have yeah. to take in you have to take in more. the bits and you then you excrete the bits yeah and, you're right you're right it's it's the it's and that's why like people who are anal retentive they can't let go mm. even of their own shit they're constipated yeah. yeah like if you can't let go of shit you got like what can you let go of mm. you know like that's a person with too many shoes for <laughs> sure <laughs> anyway yeah living in a van would be nice if we were going to stay in north america i'd i'd seriously be looking at that i mean i i look at vans now i'm like a woman looking at shoes I, it's like oh there's a sprinter look at that oh, oh i know yeah the sprinter you could man. stand up in there it's got a mercedes engine yeah Oh, that's sweet, you know, and some of them will have like the awning tube on the side so you can see they can just pull that out. Mm -hmm. They're all set up and some will have like a solar panel on the roof. I just interviewed a guy. I don't know if you heard this one um, who drove a VW combi van from Chile to Alaska. Oh, no, I Uh, haven't listened to that. Yeah, this is like two or three episodes back. I've been bad since I've been back on the trail. That's how I listen to all my podcasts was in oh, transit. And oh. I just barely got my bike back today. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So how long you been back? Just a couple um, 20 weeks? 20 days, yeah. 20 days. How's the transition working for you? <laughs> I don't want to get a job <laughs> at all. Mm. Um, I... Um, I've been sending out lots of emails for odd jobs. I don't mind work. That's not that's not what I'm against. I'm against these these eight to nine hour blocks of time, like in transit and coming back home, where you're doing something that you wouldn't be doing if you weren't getting a paycheck for it. Generally, at least right. for in my case. Right. So um, it becomes just like this time vortex that that you're just siphoning through living your whole life for those two days yeah and then the unfortunate thing is you feel so depleted from your 40 hours of work yeah that all you want to do is lay in bed and watch netflix yeah and that's just not the type of life that i want to live yeah i've always resented the notion of selling time you know like jobs where you need to show up at nine and stay there till five. I've, I've always felt like this, there's something really insulting about this. Yep. Like if you want to pay me 
to do this, fine. But totally. then don't tell me how to do it. Right. You know, like I'll do it. It'll get done. You pay me what we agreed. That's fair. Mm -hmm. But paying me a certain amount of money to sit in this chair for a certain number of hours every day, that's too much like slavery. Yeah, it really is. And then you start thinking like, oh, I'm selling my life for 15 bucks an hour or 20 or whatever or 100 still. Or 11. What's I mean, it worth? Right. Yeah. I totally. mean, you put any number on it. You know, your life's worth more than that. So, yeah, it's, it's, but you're lucky. I mean, now the, the way the economy is, I'm lucky. On one, on one side, you're lucky that the economy is much more fractured and, and um, flexible. That, you know, there are more opportunities to do things like that. On the other side, you're not lucky because the economy sucks. <laughs> what do you do? What's your, what's your skill? Um, well, I mean, I write, but I don't get paid to do that. Yeah, it's uh, a tough gig. <laughs> for sure. Um, I worked at a tea shop here in town, a local tea shop. Mm. Um, and so every now and again, I'll pick up a shift there. And I mean, since I've been back, I've mostly just been sending out emails for gigs on Craigslist, just like 50 bucks here and there. I did, uh -huh. I did a photo shoot and got paid for that. And I sent out a bunch of emails today. One is someone's looking for a cute girl to work out with three times a week and <laughs> pay me to do that. I don't know. So, so that would be a cool. man or a woman? A man, yeah. I can understand that. Yeah, I, I feel like it would motivate. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know who Dan Savage is? I do, yeah. Yeah, he and I were talking about it, and, and I, we were talking about being gay and, like, being straight and all. And I was like, dude, because yeah, he's, so, he's so buff. He's like, you know, especially the last few years, he's been working out a lot. And he says it's because it's the only time he and his husband get to be together is at the gym, so they mm -hmm. go to the gym all. Um, but I said, dude, if I were gay, I would have biceps like you. I would be at the gym all the time. If, I mean... Or if they had gyms for straight guys, you know? Isn't that just a gym, though? No, because... <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it has to, you have to have the gay experience, right? So if you had... So imagine you're gay. You go to the gym. What are you doing? You're checking out the dudes. They're checking you out. There's casual sex going on in the locker room, in the showers. Because they're all gay, and it's like, oh, uh, yeah. And so, like, if there were gyms like that, mm -hmm. where I would go and work out, and there'd be hot women around, and... You know, if we hit it off, we'd go have some sex in the shower and then come and finish our set. I'd be there every fucking day. Of course I would. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> but there just are no gyms like that. Yeah. See, here I am, the white, the white straight guy complaining. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you entitled piece of shit. <laughs> exactly. Another reason I don't have a job. I'd lose it immediately. Yeah. So so you're a you're a young uh you know, politically aware person. What do you think about all this stuff that's going on and, you know, microaggressions and entitlement and all this stuff? Are you tuned into that? Um, I've been working on getting tuned back in since I've been back. But what are you talking about in particular? Uh, just I was reading about this stuff that's going on at Yale and Occidental College and uh, somewhere else, McKenna, something. Um, there's all this stuff going on where people are extremely sensitive to, um, you know, questions of structural uh, oppression and they're getting presidents and people fired, administrators fired from universities um, for, for not having created safe spaces for them. Hmm. So it's just a, 
it's a strange movement that's happening in the U.S. Uh, you know, while bombs are going off in one part of the world, yeah. college students in America are freaking out about microaggressions. To me, it's sort of, sort of ridiculous, but I thought maybe if you were uh, recently immersed in it, you'd have another perspective. But I don't want to drag you into that if you're oh. not in it, because it's, yeah. it's... So did you go to college? Have you I, yeah, I've got my associate's degree and oh. in philosophy. And so. In philosophy. <laughs> wow. You're, I talked to a guy the other night uh, who has a master's degree in conducting orchestras. Damn. <laughs> yeah, see, you're impressed by that. But I said to him, I would laugh. He's like, yeah, there are like 40 people in the world who have a job conducting orchestras, making money. Uh, yeah. So uh, an associate's degree in philosophy. Wow. Yeah, no. And that's, that's rough. Uh, that's why I decided not to go for the bachelor's. I, I was yeah. going to have to go into debt if I was going to do it. Right. And I was like, either I go forward and get like my doctorate or I just continue learning, which is what I want to do anyway. So right. the degree was not, it wasn't going to serve me in the way that I needed it to. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're going to get a PhD and be an academic. And, exactly. And that's such a toxic world. I right just now. don't, that's just not me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more of a really broad brushstrokes kind of thinker, more abstract. I right. Guess. Right. So where are you from? What's your story? Um, I was born in Provo, Utah. Uh huh. Oh, that's right. You mentioned some some Mormonism in yeah. your background. Yeah. So um, I was actually. It's kind of a funny story. Um, my mom and dad were sixteen and seventeen when I was um, conceived, and it was a one night stand. They only ever had sex once. And according to my father, I mean, I can't. I don't know if this is true or not, but he said that it was his first time. If that's true, it's a statistical anomaly. Good that I'm job, here. dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Rearing to go. <laughs> Probably lasted about 15 seconds too. Wow. <laughs> so teen, teen Mormon yeah. one night stand. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then he, I mean, he was never part of the, the life thing. Oh, so they didn't go on and get married no, or anything? No, oh, okay. no, I didn't I mean, meet him until I was about three years well, old. Well, that must have been really traumatic if they were Mormons. Well, I think he, he's, his mom is um, one of the editors for like the more liberal newspaper of Utah. So he wasn't really into the Mormon thing. My mm. mom was. Um, so yeah, she was more of the black sheep party animal type. So wow. was she disowned by her family or no, no. Um, my grandparents are, are pretty sweet and they're, um, oh. my grandpa was Catholic and my grandma was oh. Mormon. So it was, oh. it was already fractured. It's already, uh, sort of fringed. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So, but you know, your dad, um, not, no, not really. I, I met him a couple of times. Oh. Um, Just enough to talk to him about his first sexual experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Which happened to be sitting at the table with him. That must have been weird for him, too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The first time I ever had sex, uh, my girlfriend's period was about three weeks late. Oh, uh, yeah. that's, yeah. It was that's happened to me. That's the worst. I, I mean, that's still to this day probably the 
the most intense fear I've ever felt. Yeah, totally. Being, and I was like, what, 15, 16? Totally, yeah. especially when you have no other exposure to yeah. the thing. And like, what are we going to do? You right. know, like, really? The first time? Really? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, that was a... I was going to say a fuck-up, but I guess that's, <laughs> uh, that's probably not the right phrase. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good fuck-ups, too. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like, well, you know, at the time, it was like the worst nightmare ever. But I look at you, and I think, well, that's wonderful. That's, you know, like, they were probably terrified. And, yeah. But it's great. Do you have siblings? Uh, I'm, yeah, well, I mean, not, not blood, because right. I'm obviously his only child, but I'm the oldest of six. Uh-huh. So I have... Um, four little brothers and then three of them are under the age of 10. So um, they're very young at that really fun age. So I get, I don't want any children anytime in the near future. So it's Uh, just wonderful to be part of being like, just getting down on the ground with them and playing with them. And it's, it's important to have that. They're like puppies. Yeah, they are. Totally. They want to show me everything. Are they in Provo? Um, No, they actually just about a month before I left you, um, before I left to go hike the trail, they moved up here. So now they live in Forest Grove, like 45 minutes away. Oh, uh-huh. and your mom's here. Uh huh. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. So okay, so you're you grew up in Provo, mm-hmm. and you did you come here for your college? Is that how you got? To no, I I left like as soon as I turned 18, as quickly as I possibly could. Um, so because you just weren't into the Utah experience. Yeah, I I just needed to get out of Utah. It's Were a, you a weird kid? Of course, yeah. <laughs> in Utah, you're either like you're either like one of the very pristine Mormon kids from like the very nuclear family type, or you're the weird kid. Right. Yeah. So um, it was very difficult to make friends, mm. um, and so when I turned 18, I went to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, because for some reason I thought it would be more accepting there. <laughs> and then isn't that like big like white supremacist? Oh yeah. 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 Pretty much the only thing to do up there is drink, which drink people do with great and enthusiasm. Hate black people. Oh uh, yeah, I mean there weren't any black people they hate. Yeah, so. <laughs> Mexicans, whatever. Yeah, one time Cassie and I were watching. Uh, do you ever watch the Coen Brothers movie Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Do you know that one with uh, George Clooney? And- no, I, that was on. I was supposed to watch that a couple weeks ago, and I did not. No, that's my fault. Well, it, I'm not saying it's a great <laughs> film or anything. I love the Coen Brothers in general, but you know, it's it's not the Big Lebowski. But anyway, there's a scene where they 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 escape from prison and they're like running through the woods and they come over this hill and they uh, and in the in the like over the hill, there's this big clan rally going on. All these guys in white hoods and burning crosses, and it's hundreds of. And we're in a cinema, and Cassie leans over to me and she says, "Is that the Couscous Clan?" <laughs> <laughs> so every time I think about white supremacists, I think, the "Yeah, you guys, yeah, the Couscous Clan. That's great." <laughs> Uh, yeah, we get together on Wednesdays and have Moroccan food. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, what the hell are we talking about? You're, uh, oh, getting out of Provo. So you get out of Provo, you jump out of the, what do they say, out of the frying pan into the fire? Yeah, yeah. So you went to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho mm-hmm. at 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was up there. Um, my best friend growing up, um, she... 
had moved up there with her family. Actually, kind of a funny story. Um, her mother met, um, met a man on an LDS singles website, and their third date ever was their wedding day. LDS is Mormon, Mormon Latter-day exactly. Saints. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I want to shout out to all our international listeners. Oh, right. Because <laughs> I get emails from people in Sweden and Israel and they're, you know, who listen to the podcast. So I always want to make sure they know what we're talking about. Right. LDS so, Mormon. Yeah, yeah, Mormon. So their third date was their wedding. Was their wedding day. Yeah. That's her parents. That's her parents. Yeah. Right. And so she was up in uh, Coeur d'Alene, so I moved up there to be with her and then ended up spending a couple years in Spokane, Washington, wasting my time and made my way down to Portland after that. I've been mm. here for about four years. Oh, okay. And how are you finding it? Um, it's fantastic. Like I mean, I mm. found a community here for the first time, which is, mm. as you know, like one of the most important things yeah. to have. It is. It is. That's another one of those things that I'm, I'm sort of very uh, uh, keyed into right now because we're preparing to leave Portland, yeah. you know. We, I don't know if it was before we turned on the mics or, or after and you and I were talking about uh, lack of um, routine, mm-hmm. you know. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it's another, one, another problem with all this traveling I do that I meet wonderful people, but then I leave. Yeah. You know, or they do, because, you know, when you're traveling, other people are traveling, too. A lot. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to miss Portland. We, we found a community really quickly here as well of really good people. And also doing this podcast is great because, you know, when I talk about being in Portland, I get emails from people. And they're like, hey, you know, I'm in Portland. Let's have a drink or whatever. And it's, all, it's really nice because they already know me. Mm-hmm. Right, so people who aren't, we're not going to resonate with. They, you know, they don't even listen to the podcast. So anyone who reaches out, the odds are really good that that we're going to have a lot of good feeling. Yeah, it's a nice thing. But yeah, Portland's wonderful. I was going to ask you about that. I I feel like it would be very difficult in your position to remain authentic. But based on what you said, having people that already have filtered, you've already filtered out all the shit. You're not like Beyonce famous, right? <laughs> 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 no. Where you're getting people from all walks of life, from all different yeah. mindsets. No, that's it. it. It's it's the people who want to meet me generally are people that I'd be happy to meet. You know, right. so that's nice. The problem is like time, you know. Yeah. And and the other problem is like the 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 people who need advice and think that I can give it to them. Mm. I, 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 just, I can't do that. And unfortunately that's like half the emails I get. Yeah. Know? So a lot of people are really hurting in my generation for that sense of community. And that's the type of, mm. that's the type of place where you would turn to ask yeah. advice and where yeah. they know you, they know your context, they know the situation. So it's interesting. Yeah, it, it, and there's sort of a missing father figure in a lot of lives yeah, too. I think. Yeah, that's the sad thing. Of people that age. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of ironic, you know. You and I were talking earlier, like you know, not having kids, and sort of not, uh, in some ways, not growing up the way I've seen 
people my age grow up, you know, they've got kids in college and, you know, mortgages and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. that signifies adulthood and get serious and, you know, mm-hmm. and create routines and all that. And I'm just sort of floating around, like not even really noticing the years going by. You know, but then I've got all these people thinking like I'm a father figure. Like, really? <laughs> it's it's ironic the way the world works, you know. Anyway, uh, enough about me. Uh, so where are we? You're in Coeur d'Alene? Oh, Spokane, you get here. So you're happy here. Yeah. You're- I mean, I've worked all sorts of jobs. I worked in banking for a while. Uh-huh. I was um, doing, like, I was a universal banker So with U.S. Bank, and that was... I did like a year of that, and it was absolutely the worst job I ever had. It was Why? I I felt like I was forty years old. <laughs> I know, and it's funny to say. That. It's funny to say <laughs> that to a fifty-three-year-old <laughs> guy. Yeah, but, but come on, oh, you, I you wish I were forty years old. You don't feel fifty-three though. Is <laughs> I the don't thing. feel forty. Even. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Well, it's I mean that's the thing. We have these these images of what it's like to be certain ages mm-hmm. you know like when i was 20 i thought being 40 meant these things i just listed right, right. the house the mortgage two cars kids the, the, i just that. hope to be cool by the time i'm 40 that's my only goal <laughs> <laughs> stay cool okay not be cool <laughs> like there's some some guy sent me there i saw on twitter or somewhere some guy was like uh Oh, yeah, I really enjoy your podcast with Duncan. And man, I, I hope I can be as cool as you are when I get to be old. And I was <laughs> like, fuck you, punk. <laughs> it's not going to work. Because if you were cool, you wouldn't say something like that, you little <laughs> bastard. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how people think they're complimenting you. Or I get this all the time, like, oh, dude, you look like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, like, fuck you, the, the ugly dead actor, really? The, and, you, and you want me to smile and say thank you? Come on. And, and then I like, and I say that sometimes jokingly, and they're like, come on, man, he's a great actor. As if, you didn't say I'm like as good an actor, right. although I am nominated for a porn award. <laughs> the tides turning. Exactly. That is going on my resume. Oh, we talked about that before I started this. I'm sure I will have mentioned it before this goes up. But, Very exciting. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I am nominated for a non-sex performance, which is what I've always done best. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm up there with someone named, like, what was his name? Uh, Dirk Bigler or something like that. And they, they're all fake names. If you look at the thing, I'll show you later. It's on Twitter or whatever. If you look at the list... Of the other people, like Ron Jeremy is one oh, right. of them. Yeah, yeah. What an honor. And um, and then there are a bunch of fake names like Dick Bigler. And, you know, <laughs> the, the, what was the other guy? Ryan Driller. Oh, That's nice. a good one. So they all have these little jokes. And then it's Christopher Ryan, PhD. <laughs> like, PhD? Really? Why, why are you putting PhD? Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Anyway, uh, what the fuck are we talking about here? Porn, before porn. 
porn always porn, it wipes the memory. Exactly. Yeah, and I feel like we have to start fresh. Have to start all over again. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'm just trying to get the oh uh, banking and banking. so I'm just trying to like set the context for uh, a young woman who says fucking I'm gonna go walk the Appalachian Trail. That's where I'm going with all this. Yeah, right, right. So how do you get there? What what made you decide to do this? Did you read Wild or something? No, I didn't actually. But I, that actually allowed a lot of people to um, emotionally connect with my trip. So right. before I left, I typed out all the things that I needed on a list. And at the tea shop, I put it up next to my chip jar. So I would just mark off things as I was buying them. So a lot of people would see that and be like, oh, wild was so great. Here's some money, you know? Oh, nice. Like, I want to buy this piece of gear for you. And Were you at the tea shop on Division? Uh, no, it's on um, Northwest 23rd. And then there's one down in Selwood. I worked at both. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Right. So where'd the idea come from? That, I don't know, that's an interesting question because it's it's like consciously, I just knew that I was like starting, I was turning 25, like a quarter of my life was going away and I hadn't done anything well, of real significance. A quarter, huh? So you're banking <laughs> yeah. on a hundred. No. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, well, Shoot for the stars, man. Hey, people in their 50s call themselves middle-aged. And they're like, all right. <laughs> well, we'll see. You never know when it's going to be over. But yeah. regardless, like 25, that it felt like a big landmark age. And yeah. I realized that I'd been working essentially full-time since I was 15 years old. Mm. I, I took my GED instead of getting my high school diploma a year early so I could enter the workforce full-time. And I had spent all this time working and all this time trying to save money. And I had gotten absolutely nowhere. And I realized that I was being threatened with becoming one of those people that falls into habits and, and spends their whole lives wishing that they were doing things but never actually doing anything. Mm. So I just, I was like, oh, it was interesting. I um, went to New Orleans last year and um, my friends and I, we had just, we were coming down off of an acid trip and um, we had walked from... Um, City Park. We had watched the sunset. It was like this b beautiful sunset and we were sitting in the swamp in City Park watching all the spiders making their webs. These spiders that were like really long, really thin. They almost looked like the wind would just carry them away. And um, I was just watching them, you know, working, working, working as all the mosquitoes were coming out and um, went and laid and listened to cicadas. I'd never heard cicadas before in my life because on the West Coast we just, we don't have them. Yeah. So um, we, we went to go find the music. It was really important. So we were walking down to the French Quarter. It was like the majority of the walk was like, the trip. And so I got, got into this state where I, like, I kept finding myself in this moment where I was just like doing the same thing I was doing the last time I found myself in this moment. So I um, was like, starting to like try doors like trying to like break the cycle somehow uh -huh. and um so eventually we made our way down to the french quarter and got a cigar and sat next to these um street musicians mm -hmm. and they were fantastic it was like the type of music that it's involuntary like you just stop walking right. you know like your legs forget how to move yeah. and um we went and got gumbo reading it out of these styrofoam cups and this this couple, they were obviously like pretty intoxicated, um, probably you know my parents' age or older, and um, they stopped and 
the man looked me in the eye and he was like, what have you guys been up to tonight? And I was like, oh, you know, just eating gumbo. <laughs> he was like, no, 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 no. Like, what else have you guys been up to tonight? And so we ended up getting into this conversation with them and they were telling us all about their children and how their kids were in, had graduated college. And um, my friend that was with me has her degree in engineering. She works at a grocery store and just how that's like the state of affairs for our generation right now. And the man was calling us like the, the skipped generation, the lost generation, because we were coming out of college at the same time that the economy was tanking. So now that there actually are jobs, so many um, you know, companies are trying to hire the people that are just fresh out of college. Right. Instead of the people that have been out for a couple of years, their information's outdated, they're out of practice, whatever. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's just... a bunch of kids my age that are working in grocery stores and um, he said that if there was one piece of advice that he could give to us and me like having come from like no father figure I just collect father figures (laughs) you know and um, he started to cry as he recited this quote that's attributed to Gotha Um, basically it what it boils down to is um, considering uh, concerning all manners of initiative I'm going to botch this Um, There's one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. But the moment that you make a decision, then providence moves to, and all manner of unforeseen instances and circumstances and and events that otherwise would never have occurred arrive to help you. And so whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it, because boldness has genius magic and power in it yeah I've heard that last part yeah 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 Yeah. and um something just like resonated in like a crazy muscle in me or something and I just couldn't stop laughing and crying and laughing and crying we're walking down the street all these people are looking at me like what (laughs) (laughs) it was just like it was just like eureka Mm. you know I I was I was I was being hesitant I wasn't making decisions I wasn't Mm -hmm. I wasn't Picking a path and, and starting to walk. I was I was waiting for the path to reveal itself to me, and that's just not the way that it works. I'm pure in all my thoughts I'm alive 
later I decided that I was going to do the Appalachian Trail as a way to prove to myself because the, the, the AT or any trail, any journey that you start out on, it's, it's essentially a giant metaphor for the bigger picture. Right. So setting out to, to do this thing, I, I watched as things were taken from me. I would lose something and then all of a sudden would appear mm. this the new the new thing, right. and I was never without. And there was there was one day I remember um, I think it was in New York. I want to say it was New York. Uh, I started out in the morning and my legs were still a little stiff, and I was climbing down this very steep decline, and my foot got stuck. And I tumbled forward, and I didn't know how long I was gonna fall. <laughs> and um, so I tumbled over a couple of times, and I was bleeding out of my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And um, I had popped, I had punctured my bladder that was holding all my water, uh -huh. and so it drenched all my stuff. It was and just like got a running backpack down my legs. On. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The backpack actually, I think, is what saved me more right. than anything. Although it probably contributed to you falling in the first place because of the weight. Yeah, it? probably. Yeah. Wow. And then um, I walked up to a group of hikers. The community on the AT is um, one of its biggest selling points, I think. Mm. Because everyone just, I mean, you're all doing the same thing. Yeah. You know? And so I walked up and I was like, oh, like I just fell, like I'm kind of bleeding. And um, this other guy was like, oh, well, I have an extra camel pack. Do you want this? You know? Sweet. Yeah. yeah. It was like less than less than thirty seconds, <laughs> you know, that I didn't have a, a camelback and then all of a sudden there yeah. there it was. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That is the way it works. But as you say, it doesn't work unless you take that first risk. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about Cassie and I were watching this documentary, uh, it's called The Hunt. It's one of these BBC documentaries. And uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. You talk about Netflix. I don't know if it's on Netflix, but it just came out. And the footage is some of the most beautiful nature footage I've ever seen. But there is the sequence about um, in the Arctic somewhere, there are these birds. And, you know, they're, they uh, hatch on these cliffs. Mm. And there's the moment when the bird has to, like, just go for it, right. you know, and they have to fly on their first flight. They have to fly from the cliff and make it to the water wow. and it's pretty far and you see some of them don't make it. Mm -hmm. And there are all these gulls waiting to attack and they're like uh, falcons and they're all these predators, foxes, you know, running around on the ground 
um, because the way they evolve, they all do it at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because if they did Better it, odds. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but there are all these predators just waiting, you know. And so it's not just like, holy shit, I got to jump off this cliff, but I got to jump off this cliff and make it out to that ocean, Damn. or if I don't That's make it, yeah, yeah, like hardcore. But uh, we all face that moment at some point, but yeah. so many of us die up on the cliffs, spend our whole lives up there. Right. Just like towing it, towing the line, like, oh, should I go? Oh, should I go? No, Is it it's time? too risky. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm waiting. Do I'm I, waiting. Do I not have enough money saved up yet? It's right. Like, it's like, just fucking go. <laughs> just go. Yeah, you either go or you don't. I was talking to a guy not too long ago who uh, was working on Wall Street, and he was making a ton of money, and he was like, about your age, maybe, like a couple years older than you, 27, 28. And he was making like 200 grand, 215, you know. And uh, he and his high school girlfriend were going to get married because now they had enough money and they were getting set up and they were going to have a family and the whole thing, right? Right. And so the, it was the end of the year. It was like December 29th or 28th or something like that. And they... Um, just after the first of the year, they were going to get married, and then they were going to go to the Bahamas for 10 days on vacation. So his boss calls him in, and he says, uh, listen, uh, it turns out, you know, we've got to do this deal, and everybody has to really work on it. So, yeah, I'm sorry, you're going to have to cancel your honeymoon. Uh, but, hey, good news, you're getting a $50,000 bonus this year. Yeah. Fuck it. And the guy, he turned, he went back to his office, he closed the door, and he broke down crying. Mm. And and he that was his moment, right? That's yeah. his moment on the cliff. Totally. And he said, I knew I had to quit. I had to quit that day. Because I could have waited three days and got that $50,000 bonus. But I knew that if I waited three days, I wouldn't do it. Right. I'd come up with a million reasons not to Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. And it's, it's the call to action. Yeah. Yeah. Do it right now or you'll never do it. And phew, he got up and he quit his job. Damn. Yeah. And <laughs> so he quits a job making like 250 and walks away from 50 and the, you know his boss is pissed off and like, you'll never work on Wall Street again. I'll uh, ruin you and all that shit. And so now they don't have money to go to the Bahamas. They get married at the courthouse and they decide to take a train across the country for their honeymoon. So they take Amtrak, you know, and they go and they're in Fargo. They're stopping in Fargo and it's like January in Fargo, right? Fucking yeah. like blizzard, oh whiteout. <laughs> and but they had seen the movie, the Coen Brothers movie. Have you seen that one? No, that one you so have to watch. Okay, okay, that okay, one I'm you sorry, have to watch. So That's a really movies. good one. Um, and they uh, and they're like, well, you know, let's check out Fargo. Like, what the hell, right? Because now their life's an adventure, right? Totally. Now, like, once you've lost your stability, then what the fuck? Exactly. Let's have fun. Then you're in a free fall. Yeah, you're floating. You're free, free falling. Do you know that Tom Petty song? <laughs> of course. That's a great song. <laughs> I always think about that. It's so beautiful the way he does it. Now I'm free, free falling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's about a girl. It's about breaking up with a woman. Mm. Right? She loved, she loved Jesus. She loved Elvis. Mm-hmm. She, had a, she had a horse. Didn't she have like a pony or something? There's some bullshit about having a... So it's like he had this girlfriend who was just like a good American girl. She's crazy about Elvis and she loved Jesus. <laughs> but, he, but he left her. 
And now he's free, free fallen. Yeah. She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus in America too. She's a good girl, is crazy about Elvis, loves horses. And her boyfriend too. All right, and we are back. We've reprimanded the the roommate. <laughs> <laughs> they were properly punished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think we were talking about community earlier. I want to uh, I want to find a situation in life where you get the upside of having roommates without the downside of waiting for the bathroom. Mm. Yeah. You know, that to me would be an ideal situation because I like I like living in proximity to people and like their friends come through. Mm -hmm. And so, you, you know, you come home and there's someone to talk to and there's Absolutely. stuff going on. And then you can always just retreat up to your room. Exactly. You you're not right. obligated. It's not yeah. like a partner where you're like, oh, you got to listen to their bad day or, you know, sympathize. Exactly. Um yeah, there's something really comfortable about that. I think it replicates the, the prehistoric tribal situation where you've got your your sort of inner circle mm -hmm. where you're obligated, but then there's a circle outside of that that's more fluid and easy and take it when you want it and when you don't want to deal with it, you don't have to. I like that. It's funny you should mention the waiting to go to the bathroom thing because I have to say like that's been one of the hardest parts of adjusting back to civilization. <laughs> the bathroom the bathroom yeah. it's like it's such a supreme waste of water for one oh my thing. god but it's you true. have to collect your own water and it's like, drinking water it's drinking water it's perfectly like, clean why the fuck are we sh in the world the way it is we're flushing a gallon and a half of drinking water every time we piss mm -hmm. a lot of people yeah oh my god yeah so um as we were driving back from uh maine I stopped in um, Connecticut to visit with a friend of mine, and we met at a restaurant, and there was a line four, four or five people deep. Uh -huh. And my like muscles for controlling, like having to go to the uh, bathroom, uh, I was just like sitting there dancing, just like because you're free, because yeah. you've been free. I've you're been like, free. You're like a dog in the backyard, like hey, got a shit, I shit. There it is. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's bad for the body too to to, to hold wait. that stuff too long. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, so I'm bringing and back farting. So are you? Because you're out in nature, you're farting. You're farting without yeah. even thinking about it. Yeah, we we talk about poop more yeah. out there than in any situation. So you haven't traveled internationally. You haven't been to Asia. No, because you're you're well. I imagine you will, and yeah, you're you'll see. It's the same thing. You're in India. It's like you're in a guest house or something, and. You know, oh, hi, oh, you're from Australia. Yeah, that's good. How long you been here? Hey, is your shit kind of green? <laughs> Are you noticed? I mean, do you have it? And you just go right to the shit. Like, yep. it's no problem. It's important. It's... It is important. Because if, if it's like, you know, if it's affecting everyone, then it's like, oh, it's just this town or, exactly. you know, whatever we ate last night. Or do I need to be concerned? You know, is there something with me? But... And also the way you deal with that as a traveler is kind of similar to that thing jumping off the cliff we were talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember my first trip in 
India, or I guess it was India, or maybe it was Mexico, I don't know. But really noticing how the people who were worried about it, who were really like, no, maybe that salad was washed in un, you know, filtered water, and I don't know if, oh, there's, you know, do, do you brush your teeth? Do you have to brush your teeth with bottled water? And like really concerned with it. They were the ones who were always sick. Absolutely, of course. Everyone else is like, yeah, whatever, man. Exactly. You know? I mean, you don't do anything stupid. Of you don't course. drink from the faucet in, you know, Guatemala. But you know, you don't. You can brush your teeth with it. You know, and actually, it's good because then you get some of those yeah, microbes. It's a microdose, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Always microdose, which takes us back to the acid trip. Oh yeah. So that was a really lovely trip. That was a really. Uh, I've had a couple trips like that where someone, also not always a human, sometimes animals, hmm. see like how this this person's really wide open right now. Hmm. I can really connect with this person. Mm-hmm. And and they say something important, you know. Yeah, and that was what that was when he made eye contact with me initially. Yeah, I, and I he saw like, your mind was open. Yeah, you were listening. That's that's beautiful that he recognized it, and a beautiful experience for him too to to have touched you that deeply. That's something young people don't get. I didn't get when I was young that you know because people. Older people came out of the woodwork and helped me mm-hmm. incredibly. Mm-hmm. And I just always felt like, wow, I'm so lucky, you know, that these people are just arriving in my life and, you know, deciding I'm going to be there, the recipient of all this generosity. I didn't understand how much they got out of it. Yeah. You know, now that I'm on the other side, I can see how being that man and feeling heard... Yeah. It's it great. Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. thing. It's a it's a good dynamic. Yeah. And that doesn't happen enough. It, I talk about Milan Kundera a lot. He's one of my favorite oh writers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you absolutely. know him? Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, in, I think it's in The Unbearable Lightness of Being where he says, or maybe it's The Book of Laughter and Forgetting, but one of those books he says people write uh, novels because their kids don't listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so there is that need to to communicate something, yeah. So okay, where are we? So we're in New Orleans. You have this beautiful revelation. Yeah. And then you come back to Portland and you put up a sign in the tea shop and like, <laughs> I'm going to go. Why the Appalachian Trail? Why not the Pacific uh, Crest? I had never been to the East Coast. Oh, okay. So um, I felt like there was a, a big level of disconnect between me as an, like, as an American theoretically and me actually seeing like that side of America. Mm. So I, I had never been to any of the 14 states. I'd, I'd been to New York City. I flew into LaGuardia and back out. So it was like, I didn't, I mean, that's its own universe, you know? Yeah. So that was how I decided that I was going to do it. And, um, yeah, I just felt like it, it's the most populated of the, of the long-distance trails, and the community aspect was really important to me. Right. Um, I think in trying to discover anything about yourself, um, you need a myriad of different people to bounce yourself off of to kind of get an idea of where you are. Who Especially you are. when you're young. I think that's yeah. really important when you're young. And, and it's something that is fucked up in our society where we educate kids 
like it's a room full of seven-year-olds and some old person. Yes. There are no nine-year-olds. Yeah. You know? And a seven-year-old really doesn't give a shit what a 40-year-old has to say. They really care what an eight- or nine-year-old has to say. Mm -hmm. And that's really missing from our educational system. It's The more I look at a, a particularly American society, but civilization in general, it's like there are all these essential vitamins missing from the diet. Yeah. You know, and that's know one of them. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. So you, so that's, that's very wise of you to, to key into that. Were there people who tried to talk you out of it? Um, well, yeah, I mean, my partner at the time, um, which is why I decided with even more gusto to go forward because mm. I, I felt like if whatever it is that I'm supposed to do, whatever it is that I'm supposed to see, supposed to realize, like, I need to be flexible. I need to have a sense of pragmatism and to and to follow leads and and to do the things that I need to do and somebody that's not prepared to allow me the room in which to do that like that's not the type of partner for me yeah yeah it's it's like someone who can't shit in the woods yeah exactly yeah yeah it's true if if someone's trying to stop you from walking down your path that that's not I know they're doing it out of love or fear. Of it's well, they call it love. That's the thing. I, I, I've got this book. You know, after I finish this book, I want to write short, um, passionate diatribes. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Instead of like long slogs, you know, arguing some complex thing. I, I just want to like, like just sort of rant and, and I'll call it a book or something or an essay I don't know what I'll do but one of them is love is about love mm -hmm. like love what we call love mm -hmm. is so far from what love is mm -hmm. and I think it's one of the the big uh, problems that we face as a society we're so misinformed about love you know yeah. that that we could think that stopping from someone from doing what they feel compelled to do could be motivated out of love exactly yeah, it's that. It's just that's not love. Yeah, and I think if they're six, maybe that's love. Sure, sure. But sure. not if they're a twenty-five-year-old woman or man or whatever. It's a, no, that's that's just. But fear, fear, and and possessiveness and control, all yeah. that shit gets mixed up with love. It totally does, and I think a lot of it has to do with the language. Um, yeah. Because when you when you assign a title to something. Um, like, oh, we're friends. Okay, no, no. Now we're boyfriend and girlfriend. Mm. There's this whole other slew of expectations that <laughs> right. go along with something sure. like that. And, and it, within those labels, we start to blur the, the boundaries between, between me and you. We start to blur the boundaries between people. And so you start projecting your wants and needs onto the other person. Yeah. And you stop seeing them. Like really if you ever did. If you ever did. Because a lot of love is, is projection of what you wish you were mm. or what you feel that you're missing, mm. right? You know, that, so we find this person and like, oh, together with, with, that, with her, I'll be complete. Yeah. Oh, Christ. Have you, have you read The Missing Piece by Shel Silverstein? No, it was, but Chels did he write children's books? Yeah, he yeah, did. Okay. yeah, yeah. It's right. a children's book that, like, my mother. It, it was one of the books that was always in the house. But it's about this little this little pie piece that goes around looking for its missing piece, and it does all these different things to like 
have have lots of attention, lots of flashy lights, and like sometimes it'll meet someone that already has too many missing pieces, mm. and or someone, and then eventually the missing piece finds the perfect match, mm. and they start floating around along together, and then before the missing piece knows it, it's, it begins to grow, and it starts getting bigger and bigger, and it outgrows the relationship. Oh, it, yeah, and then eventually it meets this this little circle man with a little, cute little face. And um, he says, well, oh my God, like you're amazing. I want to be your missing piece. And the big O says, I'm not missing any pieces, but mm. you're welcome to come and roll alongside me. And the missing piece is like, how? Like I have all these sharp edges. He's like, well, you know, just, just start. And so the missing piece starts to bump along and, and <laughs> really? starts, yeah, and starts to carve off all of its little pieces. And before you know it, it's like its own little, its own little complete circle. That's pretty subversive to have yeah. lying around the house. Yeah. It's something that always stuck with me. I met a woman when I first got to Spain. Monse was her name, which is a very Catalan name. Montserrat. Uh, probably the first woman I actually had any sort of uh, thing with in Barcelona, now that I think of it. But it was very weird. It was I was her English teacher, so I met her, and uh, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. there's a lot of that. Um, but she was the first. But anyway, she it, it was it was strange. The whole the whole thing was awkward because she was like not my kind of woman at all, really. What was your kind of woman? Uh, you know, pretty bohemian open-minded traveler mm -hmm. you know I'd been around the world like twice at that point or three times I don't know you know I'd stopped counting at that point you know right and and she was like a good girl Catalan local you know grew up and still lived with her parents she was probably 25 or 30 or whatever but um uh in Spanish people are uh can be very conventional, like mm -hmm. like all European people, because the society is very for Americans like like Spanish people don't live in a house like we're in right now. Mm -hmm. You know they don't do this. They don't move out and rent a place with other Spanish people, kids, they kids, young people. They they live with their parents until they get married. That's yeah, just the way it is. Right. And but that's the thing about European societies. There's a lot of that's just the way it's done. Right. You know, there's a lot of that sort of thinking. You don't question it. Right. Which has its really good side. Definitely. You know, but then the community it, is very strong. And the food's good. Yeah, and, sure, sure. you know, Starbucks comes in and they're like, no, I don't think so. We know how to make coffee. You know, so there's like a there's um, an identity, an identity, a group identity. So they they're willing to invest money in mass transit and, you know, public health care mm -hmm. because they're like, hey, we're all in this together. There's this feeling of community. So it's a really beautiful thing. Um, but it can be stifling as well. For sure. Anyway, it doesn't matter. What I was trying to say was that she's, I remember her saying to me, we, we, she took me to her weekend, her parents' weekend house. And it was just this weird thing because we were there in this house and it was like really formal and uptight and she was worried like oh we have to put these napkins back and you fold them the right way and there's all this like weird vibe you know and i'm like this this bitch is never shitting in the woods you know <laughs> <laughs> so but i remember uh 
on the drive back where we both knew, like, never going to see her again. Mm. Like, you know, she's a nice person. She yeah. likes me, but no it vibe. just, there was nothing. And I remember her saying to me, like, I, I, and we had a very honest conversation on this drive back to Barcelona. I remember her saying to me, um, I, I feel like I can't fit into your life because there's no empty space. Mm. And even at the moment, I remember thinking, yeah, there is no empty space. Yeah. I don't need anyone to come in and fill an empty space in me. Right. That's not what I'm looking for, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's her idea of a relationship. Like, that's a lot of people's idea yeah, of a relationship. Yeah. yeah. You need to need me or I don't feel safe. Exactly. Like, wow, then you're never going to feel safe. Exactly. Because you know? that, that level of safety, like, you can't. I mean, for one thing, any any promises that you make someone, regardless of yeah. however much you think that they need you, <laughs> yeah. there's nothing is solid. Yeah, there. That's just not the way that the reality is set up. I remember the first time, like my heart was really broken, and well, probably the only time still, actually. That, that's another whole story. But um, I remember thinking, like, okay, she doesn't love me anymore. And she said just six months ago, I'll love you forever. Mm -hmm. I'll always love you. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, like, okay, I could go down the path saying that terrible person lied to me. Mm -hmm. But really, I think in the moment she believed it. Of course. And there, there are two kinds of forever. There's a linear forever mm -hmm. and there's... Uh, like, like a horizontal forever, and there's a vertical forever. I know forever. exactly what you're talking about. It's like it's like removed from space and time. Right. Yeah. So in this moment, but. I can't imagine not loving you. That's forever. That's forever. If you're sincere. Definitely. That is forever. I mean, you know, you have these moments where, you know, whether it's with hallucinogens or meditating or walking through the woods or having sex or whatever, where time, you're unaware of the passing of time. Exactly. That is forever. That's, that's an forever. infinity. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, that's that's all the time. I, I really believe that. Yeah. We experience it so linearly. And, I mean, we can play things off of our memory, like, oh, like, this happened before that. But really, once it's once it's plugged into the long-term memory, like, it might as well. Yeah. You know, it might as well be a deja vu, for all you know. Yeah, or a dream. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's true. Wow. Strange. Except for scars. Yeah, scars are cool, <laughs> right? And tattoos, too. I got a new one. Yeah. I don't... Oh, yeah. Did, did that's, you hear that's about what, that? Yeah, well, that's when you emailed me, was when you were sitting in the hospital. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. Probably I was in shock. I emailed you from the hospital? Yeah, you did. Really? Uh-huh. Did I tell you I was in the yeah, hospital? You told oh, me yeah, the I story. must have, you know. Yeah. Oh, I told you that I was bleeding. From, yeah, you told me all about it, yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there it is, yeah. Yeah, and I I had this like anti-scar stuff that my wife got for it, and Why? I was like, man, I no, like scars. Totally. I always like scars. Me too, yeah. yeah. So especially when it's like a macho thing, you can tell <laughs> like a gun story, you know. Yeah. Well, I was shooting. I was out shooting. Out shooting. <laughs> yeah. Bear got me. Okay, so uh you're a very interesting person. We've been talking for an hour, we haven't even really gotten to the trail yet. Yeah, totally. We're going Joe Rogan style on this. <laughs> Do you ever listen to his podcast? Um it's a little long for my taste sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> 
right. But so, I listen to a few so we'll episodes, for sure. Yeah, no, me too. He, he tends to, I mean, it, it goes. But anyway, the, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm just trying to imagine. So you're like, okay, you're in a relationship. And yeah, and the relationship didn't actually end until I was about three quarters of the way through the trail. But oh. that, but all of the indicators that it was going to come to an end were prevalent mm-hmm. in, before I left. All Essentially, right. um, statements like, I don't see the benefit in this for me. And, um, you know, just that type of thing. So, yeah, yeah it was it was interesting. But he and I had a we were in an open relationship anyway. So oh. it felt like it kind of naturally got to where it needed to be. And it, it very organically fell apart in my in my perception, at least. That's the best way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the way that all relationships should go. I mean, I was talking earlier about, about the labels and the promises and that's just, why, why is that always like the course of relationships for people is like the stepping ladder, you know, like first you're friends, then you're in a relationship, then eventually you move in together and then eventually you get married and then eventually you have kids. It's like, why does every romantic relationship that you're in have to follow that pattern? Yeah. But in our society where we just like, we try and fit every relationship into these molds and we don't allow relationships to organically teach us what we need to know. And then yeah. there's so much bitterness that's that's born from this faulty expectation. Yeah. That it makes it hard to remain friends afterward, which is a tragedy because when you love somebody, I mean that that is forever. Then yeah. it never really goes away. Yeah, I often say it's like it's like people who believe they have to burn down every house they've ever rented. Yeah. Like why? <laughs> Why? Why is that you, necessary? You can leave, take your stuff and go and leave everything nice, you know, and totally. let someone else go and live there. You're not going to... Yeah, yeah. I, I, One of the things I'm most proud of in my life is the peaceful, kind breakup that I had with my last big relationship. And it was hard. We'd been together seven years and, mm-hmm. you know, it was hard. But... Um, because people use anger and and recrimination to mask their pain. Yes. And it's so much easier to just say, you lied, you did this, you did yeah. that, and so I don't need to feel what I'm feeling. That's the coward's way out. That's the thing. It's really interesting. Um, there's a man named Martin uh, Pechel, I think is his last name. I don't remember. He's he's a, um, from Guatemala. He's a, he's a Mayan shaman. Um, mm. I recently listened to a talk that he did where he was talking about how in Mayan culture the idea of grief and the idea of praise are the same word. That whatever it is that that wells up inside of you when you're when you're feeling praise is exactly the same muscle that wells up when you're feeling grief. Mm. And what he says is that we live in a society that doesn't that doesn't grieve properly. We don't know how to grieve properly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I read something recently about grief as an expression of love. Yes, yeah. Same idea. Same idea, yeah. Yeah, it's true. We don't grieve properly because we're constantly trying to distract ourselves from the reality of loss and death. Exactly, of our own mortality. But the thing is, like, when you take 
the question of your mortality out of it, you're taking the beauty out of it too. Yeah. Because if you are working under this illusion that it's going to last forever, then you're not going to be praising it properly. Well, and you're never going to jump off that cliff, right? right. You're never going to take that step you took in New Orleans that night. So, uh, okay, so let's get practical. What's it like to walk on a fucking trail for six months? Like what, what, I mean, how was the first month different from the last month, let's say? Um, well, for one thing, your body gets... Physical conditioning. Like, absolutely. I mean, yeah. and you get... It's interesting. Um, the whole the whole time on the trail, I was trying to like get my mind wrapped around distance and time, time mm. and distance. But the thing is, like, it's so fucking relative. Like, I would leave in the morning and be like, okay, like today's a twenty mile day, and if I was in the right mood and if I was listening to the right things or um, reflecting on the right things, then twenty miles would go by, and it would be like, oh damn, like I've still got. Plenty of time. Right. And then other days, depending on terrain, mood, uh, level of fatigue, like 20 miles feels like forever. Yeah. And you look down at, at your map because, you know, you carry like a little map that tells you, you know, where, where your next water source is, where your next shelter is, and you can kind of plan. But um, there was one day I remember I felt like I was just walking and walking and walking and half the day was gone and I looked down and I'd gone less than five miles. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's, um, it's hard to say what it's like to walk for s every day for six months because every day is so different. Mm. And even though it, to a lot of people, it gets repetitive. You know, it's just like a lot of the same thing, but everything that you're seeing is different all the time. So you're, I mean, you're not only moving through different landscapes, but the mm. season's changing too as you go. Yeah, totally. You're so, starting in spring, you're ending in frosty, frozen <laughs> lakes in Maine. Yeah, that was my fault for having so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, well, I mean, one thing that's nice about travel in general and, and that kind of travel in particular, I imagine, is you learn the wisdom of not being in a hurry. Mm, yeah, definitely. You know? Things have a natural flow to them. And as much as I can just kind of like work with that flow, because honestly, like you try and steer it, but really you're on your train, like you're on a track. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Like you can try and kick and fight and scream, but you're still going to the same place. At least, in my opinion. That's what are we talking about? Death? We're talking about yeah, life? Yeah, definitely. Oh. Life, oh, okay. death, everything. Yeah, I, the way I look at it, and, and we seem to be going on the same topic a lot, but I guess it's something we both think about a lot. I, uh, I feel like people are under the illusion that they are like swimmers in a lake, mm -hmm. right? And so the environment you're in is fixed, and you can swim over there, you can swim to the island, you can swim back to shore, you can do what you want. I think we're swimmers in a river, mm -hmm. and no matter how hard you swim, you're not going to go you against the go current, back. right? Exactly. At, but, and in fact, that's really dangerous because if you're struggling against the current, that means you're not looking downstream at the rocks that are coming and the snags and things that you actually can avoid. Mm -hmm. But in order to avoid them, you need to turn and face the reality of what's happening, exactly. which, which means acknowledging death and age and all that. It's weird, though, because, like, you know, we're talking about acknowledging age. I really haven't acknowledged age in my own life 
in some ways until the last year or two. Yeah. And it's and it's uh, it's a struggle um, because because of these things that I said, you know, where I don't have kids and you, I don't have a career, I don't, like all these markers, external markers. You know, you can sort of just not really deal with it in some ways. But then, like, you know, these people I think of as being young, I see them now and they're old. <laughs> it's like... Uh, Wait, how old am I? <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. It's like, you know, because I'm looking from inside, you know, and, yeah. and inside here, I don't really, you know, see myself getting older or whatever. You haven't seen any, like, any physical manifestations? Not really. Yeah. No. You look very young. Oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> You're making it worse. <laughs> um, no, I used, to, I used to look younger than my age. People always used to be like, you know, when I was 30, they're like, really? I thought you were like 24. And then when I was 40, I thought you were like 35. And then around 45, I think, the lines crossed. And then it was like, oh, yeah, you're, you're 45. Yeah, right. Like, oh, you know, like no one's surprised anymore. <laughs> and it's like, so, but anyway, what the hell are we talking about? The the river. Oh, oh, just, yeah, turning and facing downstream and sort of acknowledging acknowledging the reality but no I haven't really felt uh, physically I mean you know my knees don't creak too much you know and like I don't get up and pee in the middle of the night like so none of that old person stuff has really kicked in which I guess is going to be really depressing when that happens. <laughs> yeah, prepare yourself man it's coming. <laughs> uh, I'm trying I'm trying yeah so uh, what was your hardest day on the trail is there one day that stands out like oh uh, shit man did you ever were you ever tempted to give up and just like fuck this sure absolutely i mean but i think that my hardest day on the trail was the actual only day that i badmouthed the trail um i was in this this part in uh, southern virginia where it's called dragon's tooth mm. and the whole ridge lighting up to it you're just like doing these short um steep inclines short steep declines oh, just like teeth that's hard and yeah. so i was just going up and down and up and down and i was just kind of like come on trail like can we just get there like come this is stupid like you're gonna take me up again and then we're gonna go down again like now are you talking out loud yeah you totally. talk to your tongue yeah oh yeah all the time what, um, what was your trail name honeybee Honeybee. <laughs> I can see that. By the way, I just realized your the tattoo is the same as Yeah, somebody bought that for me after the after dandelion seeds blowing off in the wind. It's nice. Creative destruction. Yeah, and I mean when I was little we used to call them wishers. Uh, but it's also my Carl Sagan tribute. Uh, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Anyway, so I uh and climbing up and down, up and down, and up and down. And um, I get to the top, and there's this huge monolith of this rock. And you can you can squeeze yourself between two rocks and, like, kind of shimmy your way up and climb up to the top. And it was right at sunset. So I had this beautiful moment of just, like, watching the sun starting to go down. And you could see all the, the farmland below and uh, all, the, all the mountains in the distance. And... I climbed down. My headlight was starting to die. Uh, I didn't have any batteries, so I started climbing down. And there are all these signs that are saying like "danger," like this is a this is a dangerous part of the trail, you know. And it was just essentially sheer. The thing that's different uh, between the AT and the PCT is the PCT is all old horse trail, so you're essentially like 
climbing at like a 15 degree angle so there are lots of switchbacks so you can kind of get into the flow but the at would just take you up the the mountain it's just like oh there's the mountain like there you go straight up the side exactly so i'm climbing straight down the side and i my friend the dude telling him about this later he said that i followed a will of the wisp and i just kept going down um little did i know that the trail had diverted (sighs) and gone a different direction so I get to the, this, I'm walking in this deep ravine and I'm looking for, for different like indicators that I'm on the trail. Like I see that there's like a water bottle. So I'm like, okay, I pick up the water bottle. I'm obviously on the trail. There's litter, you know, and, um, I'm walking down and then I get to the, the end and there's just like this cliff. And I was like, oh. I turn around and I like the whole trail is marked with these swatches of white paint called white blazes. So I turned and looked for my nearest white blaze and I saw what looked to be a white blaze on a tree. So I started like climbing hand over foot to get back to that and I started walking down something else that I thought was the path. Turned out it was just moss and not a blaze at all. So I was walking on all these packed leaves and slipped out from underneath me and at that exact moment looked ahead and there was a rattlesnake in my path and I like my stomach just like dropped all the way out of me and I just like my whole body started shaking and I realized that I was lost and that I didn't remember the last time I knew that I was on the trail so like in this blind panic it's dark at this point i start um the mosquitoes are fucking everywhere because it's virginia in the summer and so i start climbing up and my my limbs were shaking so bad that i i slipped a bit and i i stopped and i was like no like pull yourself together (laughs) you know like you've got three days worth of food you've got water you're okay like we just let's just see what happens let's just climb up (laughs) and um i got to a certain point i was stuck in the uh, between this rock and a hard place literally (laughs) (laughs) um there was this huge obstacle in front of me that i didn't remember climbing over to climb down and um the whole time on the trail i had zero cell phone service but i had a friend that was waiting for me we were gonna go go get burgers at um at this hostel so um i was able to have just one bar of service. And so I called him and I was like, hey man, like I'm totally lost. Don't know where I am. I'm between a cliff and a rock and I don't know where I am, but uh, I'm lost. And, he, and then phone cuts out. So I'm sitting there for like almost two hours just blowing this whistle, <laughs> just blowing into the whistle, hoping that like somebody, anybody comes back and he ended up dropping his pack and turning around and climbing like all the way back up the mountain. And when I heard his voice, it was, it was like relief. Like I've never felt relief. It was like being a child that was lost in the grocery store. And then you find your mom, you know, and it's just like tears and, and shaking all over. And, um, and then I got down and we climbed down together. Um, and then I got to the hostel and there just so happened to be a friend that I wasn't expecting to see there. And they were waiting with three burgers and a box of wine for me. <laughs> and, and I get to tell everyone about the story. And that's like, it's perfect because um, there's this woman um, who wrote a book called uh, The Language of Emotions. Uh, her name is Karen something or other. I can look it up. But 
um, she talks about how a traumatic experience is completed when you come back into society after your vision quest or your whatever it may be. And there's, and there's the, re- the reinitiation, the welcome home. Mm. And that so many people in our society get caught in that loop because there isn't that community to, to welcome you home after a traumatic experience. Veterans coming back from war. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Have you read The Hero with a Thousand Faces? I have, same, yeah. Same idea. Totally. You know, that, that cycle. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Very nice that he climbed that mountain to go get you. It was, yeah, definitely. It's a heroic move. <laughs> he was he was well rewarded. <laughs> <laughs> you read my mind. I was thinking, you know, your worst day on the trail was his best. So I hope. <laughs> if there's justice. Yeah. Well good for good for both of you. That's that's nice. So do you remember your best day? Was there a best day? There were so many best days, yeah. like so many best moments just By the way, tell tell people your your uh, Instagram handle. So. Um oh yeah, it's a uh, Preconceptions with two E's, P-R-E-E, conceptions. Right, just so they can, uh, I don't want them to have to wait till the end to, to go and look at some of your photos, because you took some really nice photos. Thank you, really thank beautiful. you. Yeah, I didn't go back to the beginning. I just started following you when I got your email. So I'm sure there are lots of amazing ones from before, but even just that last month or so, there were some fantastic yeah. shots. I mean, it's, it's autumn, like... You've never experienced autumn on this side of the country. It's yeah. just like explosions of color everywhere. Yeah. And it was so cool to watch that like slowly, slowly creep up. And right. then all of a sudden there was a rain. And the next day it was just like, pfft, like everything was just, everything was colorful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. I grew up in that part of the country. Where? Well, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Mostly. Yeah, so I saw a lot of good changing of color you know in the autumn and also also i lived in upstate new york yeah i went to college in upstate new york um yeah cool so what's next for you you're you're an inspiration i'm sure a lot of people listening to this are thinking shit she can do that i can do that why don't why am i doing that you know yeah totally um next i so I'm just kind of applying for a bunch of jobs, trying to save up some money, and then I'm gonna go move to South America. And just, um, I have the same friend actually that rescued me off the side of the mountain. He has an idea for a project that we're gonna collaborate on together down in South America. What's that, if, if you can talk about it? Um, I don't wanna talk about it yet, okay. but yeah. Do you know where in South America? Um, we have a couple of places that we wanna go, but um, he taught English in Ecuador for a while, so we're gonna go uh-huh. visit that village and we really want to do the Patagonia Trail, so, mm. yeah. What is that? How, how long is the Patagonia Trail? You know, trail? honestly, I am massive. not sure. I, I think, well, I mean, there are sections you can do. I don't know about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. We were, Cassie and I are, I don't know if I mentioned, we're going to Thailand in a few weeks. Oh, nice. Yeah. My friend just got back from there. Yeah. Yeah. I like Thailand. I like Southeast Asia. Asia in general, I like a lot. We were going to go to Colombia, and we, we were talking about that. And uh, it's funny, you know, the, the way life changes. Like when when I was traveling a lot, Colombia was too dangerous mm. to go to. It was just insane with all the cocaine and all that. And so I mentioned to a friend that we were thinking of going to Colombia, and he's uh, an investment banker in New York, and he has a friend who's from Colombia, and his friend has read Sex at Dawn, and he loved it, and. He mentioned to his friend, and so then I get this email yesterday. 
saying, hey, you, you know, my, my buddy um, wants to offer you his apartment in Medellin, and here oh, are some damn. photos. And this apartment is insane. It's like this amazing apartment with these views out over the mountains. And, oh. you know, it's just like super deluxe, incredible. And, and this guy's best friend just was elected mayor of Medellin. So we'd be hanging out with the mayor and, you know, go out to <laughs> dinner and all this stuff. But uh, I think we're, we're not going to do it. We're going to go what? to Thailand. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's not really our style, you yeah, know, the yeah. fancy apartment and hanging out with the mayor. You know, it would be fun. It would be great. But that's not really, you know, the kind of travel that we're really into that much. I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. But it is funny, these opportunities that occur. And I have this other friend with a yacht. He's in the British Virgin Islands right now. And I had to send him an email today saying we're not going to come to visit him either, which is a bummer. Because we're going to Asia, you know, mm. what are you going to do? Yeah. So. I, met, I met a man from Taiwan in Massachusetts. I was sitting in a cafe writing and he came up to me and he was just, he was just so excited because he said, he said that he's like, when I looked at you, I saw that your face was kind and so many people here don't have mm. kindness on their face. And so um, I ended up staying with him for a couple of days and he's from Taiwan and he was saying that in Taiwan, like some of the nicest people in the entire world. Mm. And um, he let, he owned a hostel that was right on the beach and um, he's essentially stuck in Massachusetts waiting for his US passport. He had, uh -huh. yeah, he had someone that wanted to sponsor him. So now he has to stay there for three years. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've, we're sort of dealing with some passport issues with Cassie right now. That's that's actually why we can't go to Colombia. Mm -hmm. Because if, I mean, we could, but we'd have to come back to the U.S. to then fly to Asia, because flying from South America to Asia is super expensive. Mm -hmm. And we're not sure she'd be able to get back in, so we don't want to risk, you know, yeah. having her stuck in an airport Bunch somewhere. Bunch of bureaucratic bullshit, you know? It is such bullshit, I know. They, they say we're free, but you have to have oh. a passport to get out of your own country. Yeah, well, America is under a lot of illusions about themselves. You know, we, we're told we're free. We're told uh, that we're the land of the brave. This is the most scaredy cat, pussified country I've been to. We're afraid, oh, terrorists. Bomb goes off in, in Paris and everybody's like, they're coming for us, oh, they're coming for us. Oh, calm down, people, you know? Yeah. I mean. It's funny, I've never even been out of the country and I can still see that. Well, wait till you go out. I, I, yeah. I say to people, because I've lived most of my life outside. Yeah. And, and so I come back and it's like those dreams. I don't know if you have these dreams where you wake up and, or, you know, in the dream, you have to go back to high school because <laughs> you didn't finish. Like, you know, they call you like, you didn't finish gym class. You have to come back. Like, oh, really? And you go back and you're like 30 and you're in gym class again. I, I mean, I haven't had one in a while, but I haven't. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you ever have a dream no. like that? No? I don't think I woke well, up yet. <laughs> well, maybe you never will because I outgrew them. So, <laughs> Do you ever have dreams where you're like, oh, there's an exam and I didn't study? Yeah, totally. Okay, you yeah. had those. Okay. Well, it's the same kind of thing. For you know? sure, for sure. That's what being in America is like. You're like, mm -hmm. what? Really? I have to listen to you? Really? You, you have authority? You like dipshit at the airport telling me to take off my shoes? Really? Come on. 
Yeah. That's silly. All these rules. Anyway. Well, listen, thank you. This has been really nice. I could just sit here chatting with you all night, but uh, we've, we've gone on. <laughs> uh, is there anything that, that I missed? Anything we haven't talked about that's important? I had no plans. Okay, so. good, good. Well, I think, you know, the main thing is I like to, to talk with people who are doing things that other people are thinking of doing. Yeah. Just to help people see that, it's real that you can do it how much money did it cost you let's, let's talk about practical stuff like, mm, that's hard to say i mean i would i would put it probably all things together um w including all my gear was probably about six grand mm. in total six months on the on the trail yeah give or take yeah that's great that's good so yeah, it's not it's not a ton of money. It's, it's not expensive, and you don't home. need to go the whole six months either. You can go no. for two months or three months or totally. whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's it's about it's about breaking up the routine. It's about yeah. like going to where time moves the way that time is actually supposed to move in reality. Mm -hmm. You know, organic time. Organic time, yeah. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through patreon.com or fundwhatyoulove.com, on either of which you can decide how much you want to give the podcast, a buck a month, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Other people are covering your load, so you're going to be good. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. The other way you can support the podcast is if you buy shit through Amazon.com or you know someone who does, please direct them through the link on my page, ChrisRyanPhD.com. You click on that baby once, bookmark the landing page on Amazon, and then 8 to 10% of whatever you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra cost to you or your loved ones. Thank you to Basin and Range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast. Very funky little tune there. There, uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, thanks to Shore Design T-Shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those T-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design T-shirts in Thailand. And you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at CarseyBlanton.com. C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L. A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm. And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day
to the ground. 